Grapple fans, and welcome for the first time in over six months to a Meltzer five-star edition of Let Me Tell You Something with your co-host Lorcan Mullen and my co-host Simon Cross. Life is good again! Wrestling's good again! Isn't it mint? We're back. Everything's fine. 2020 is now fuck. No, but nevertheless... This is what we call a small mercy. Yeah, that, that's, uh, yes, yes, I was being a tad facetious there. And yes, I think it's the first match of its kind to be on the five-star list, if I'm not mistaken. Depending on what you define as its kind as well, though. I mean, this is called a parking lot fight, isn't it? That's what it's called. Or yes. Brawl. So it's not actually called a street fight, which, as my understanding of it was, that that was always something that happened in the ring. Uh, I guess for the heirs and graces, and for those of you who haven't figured it out, we should uh, tell you what we are covering. We are covering another AEW match. The last ones to provide us with a five-star match before the in the before times uh, provided us with the most recent one of the new normal. And it's a match involving entirely new people from the AEW, no member of the elites. The original Elite is a part of this. And it's a mid-card tag team feud payoff, uh, blow-off match. Am I right in thinking it's, well, it's four debutants? Yes, none of these men have been involved in a five-star match before. Some of them, you'd be surprised that they were involved in four-star matches if you heard certain individuals in wrestling's opinions of their <laughs> worth as in-ring performers. But it is the best friends combo of Trent and Chuck Taylor. Against Santana and Ortiz, previously known as LAX, also briefly known as Proud and Powerful, but they seem to have ditched that name for whatever reason. Yeah, it's part of that. It's their theme. I think it's still involved in their theme when they come out under that guise because it's a banger. Um, but yeah, they are now known as just Santana and Ortiz. Keep it simple. But yeah, th- four teams that all have popular followings, but had never even really been positioned like this in AEW outside of the inner circle big blow-off feud with the elites, really. Yeah. And I think Santana and Ortiz were always seen as fall guys, essentially, in those matches. They were kind of like what Buddy Roberts was to the fabulous Freebirds, the guys that could take the fall for the team. They really developed themselves a, a reputation in TNA, especially during the feud between the original LAX against them with Eddie Kingston and Conan as rival mouthpieces for the teams. Uh, Then they had a little run on the indie scene. They had some good matches on PWG, I think, before making their debut. Was it on the first episode of Dynamite? Yes, yeah. And quickly being programmed against the Young Bucks and as a part of the top heel stable. So it was from the start, they were given very high-profile position on the card. Maybe that was originally intended for Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, but they obviously never came along, and so... They had a very good alternative pick in Santana and Ortiz. What I think they both do very well is that sort of pit bull ferociousness. From, like, Homicide's work within the original LAX, you can see a lot of that in them. Yeah. They also, when the Inner Circle gets comically usurped, they are brilliant at it. Recently, when they got 
dunked in orange, not dunked in orange juice, but orange juice dunked, dunked on them, I should say. Uh, Ortiz trying to, like, you know, do the backstroke <laughs> through it was a... Uh, I think it might have been front crawl, but him sw- trying to swim through the orange juice, a la Vince McMahon with a beer, was a nice little touch. Well, then you bring in the comedy element to it. And this was a match that originally started from, like, a comedic perspective. But within this match, if this was the only part you'd seen of it, you'd think... Maybe up until the the very last departing shots <laughs> of the match, the final moments, that this was a deadly serious blood feud, because it was originally involving them. Um, uh, because we've got the best friends who are a sort of semi comedy, well, probably almost entirely comedy tag team that was always positioned really within the mid card. They're not put down right now as like top contenders for the tag team titles. I think they had a shot against Omega and Page, but it wasn't like... It was on one of the special events as well. Yeah. Um, not a pay-per-view, but one of like, the big dynamites. So they they are a very rock-solid team, but one that is... Like I said, this is these are four... None of these guys are going to main event a pay-per-view anytime soon. But what I like about what, what this match was, and I hope AEW continues this, is allowing acts in the mid-card to have their moments to shine if it's on a main event of an AEW Dynamite show, that it doesn't have to be always main evented by the champ, you know, the big stars that open and close every episode. Uh, When Raw went to three hours, a couple of years ago, they started to switch it so the final hour very often end with things involving, like, the women's title match or Enzo and Big Cass or things like that. Mm. And the, the, the the big main event stuff would happen at the end of hour two. Uh, but that was more for a scheduling reason. Whereas for this one, it did feel like this was the, you know, if we're going to do a few blow-off, then it can main event an episode of Dynamite, if it can't necessarily main event a pay-per-view or or a, a special episode of Dynamite with like a fighter fest name or something like yeah. that. So I hope that this continues down that path of giving these guys at least a moment every couple of, like every four or five months to shine. And like this was the best friends, if they don't necessarily do anything more in the in the next year and a half or whatever it is that they're part of AEW, they will always have this as a memorable moment that they got to be the stars of the show and ride off into the sunsets, mm. essentially, you know? And similarly, Santana and Ortiz were allowed to have a great match and put get their stuff out there and, and look, even in defeat, look really good. Like, they were all given... It was like, this was... They were given a moment that mid-carders in other promotions wouldn't necessarily be given the chance to have, you know? Yeah. This is like the equivalent of a small New Japan show mid-tour that's for the Never Openweight title. Mm. The main event's that smaller show with Ishii in the main event or something like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, you could argue, as I say, Santana Ortiz might have been screwed out of it. Mm, you can make that case. Th- th- there's a school of thought there. What I was going to say is how fortunate do you think AEW are as a promotion that this went as well as it did in light of recent events and the flatness of the all-out pay-per-view. I don't know. You can... Everyone has their moments, and everyone has bad luck and good luck. Obviously, they were taking risks. The thing that the thing that is starting to bother me about AEW is that because some of the, someone was allowed to bleed, everyone wants to get to bleed. <laughs> and you know, I think over the past month or so. I know that Moxley's bled. I know that Darby Allen's bled. I know that they had Joey Janela bleed in a segment with Chris Jericho. Mm. Uh, Orange Cassidy bled hard way at least once. I know, like, he got a cut on the ear. Yes. Cody has bladed quite frequently. Well, he loves he loves a bit of blood, does Cody? Yeah. And in this match, 
Santana, I don't know if Santana bladed, it looked like it was probably a hard way cut because it wasn't like letting the blood flow. My impression was that was hard way. But then Trent took a back bump on the glass and that was, that seemed like he legitimately cut his back up. Yeah. It's funny because he does turn to the camera after he takes that bump, expecting it to look a bit worse than I think it would than it did at that point. Mm. But then later on, they were able to get a shot in of his back. There's a great bit that plays off of that in terms of when they hit him with a 2x4 later on and the amount of blood that's now stained on that 2x4 yeah. after hitting him across the back. So they, they got their visual in the end. Mm. Bless them. So yeah, they're saying this is like a parking lot fight and a street fight. To me... Uh, it reminded me of certain other matches. The the ones that are most obvious are... The first one that comes to mind is the Steven Regal Fit Finley match in 96 that was also around, like, a circle of cars. And it was very violent. Didn't Wasn't there a proper injury in that one? Possibly. I know that... Uh, no, you're thinking of, like, a hardcore thing that happened in 99. Ah. Uh, where there were loads of injuries in that. And Fit Finley did win that. So, yes, I'm thinking they had, like, a big Battle Royal brawl in the scrapyard, didn't they? My apologies. Yeah, like WCW Hardcore title or something like that. The Regal one, it's a good, it's a nasty, tough match, as you'd expect from those two. It ends with Regal pile-driving Finley on the hood of the car, hood of one of the cars. But it was also, I remember Eric Bischoff is on commentary at this point, so this is pre-NWO. And he, like, says, I want this on a wide shot. I don't want us going too close because it was obviously going too violent for his liking. And I think a lot of Dynamite is very inspired by Nitro. So I think that was visually what they had in mind anyway. Like, that sort of level of brutality they were going for. Mm. Also, the visual with the cars circling around them was something WWE did a couple of times. They had an iron circle match between Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman back in 1999. (laughs) Of course it was Shamrock and Blackman back then. Of course it was. More famously than that would be the Eddie Guerrero John Cena match that they had around 2003. This was original Doctor of Thugonomics heel John Cena Mm. that ended with Eddie doing a frog splash off of one uh, car onto the hood of another or something like that. And also just really... Much like the um, Dr. Britt Baker Big Swole match angle thing that opened the previous pay-per-view, it was very reminiscent of that 98-99 WWF Hardcore Championship matches. You know, filming it backstage, multiple cameras capturing it, all anything nearby that could be used as a weapon being used as a weapon. Mm. relatively short but fast paced and sort of no let up on it and obviously just not in front of a live crowd the the best proponents of that were really al snow and road dog had a really great little run with the where it was almost like a like the tv title where he was having these cool matches with al snow in particular road dog and al snow had a really good wouldn't be one i would be one i wouldn't mind bringing into the match of the week uh, actually in the future and again like the regal match it ended with a pile driver on a on a pile of pallets um you also have one with gangrel big boss man got involved in a few of those hardcore holly obviously as well where he started to make a name for himself so yeah i think that's what aew is trying to be it's sort of trying to capture all these little moments from the past of wrestling and give them a modern twist if they can but going back to the old school stuff Mm. with the TNT Championship as an homage to the old TV Championship days. and Dave Meltzer was comparing it to the Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, Ted DiBiase, Coal Miners Glove matches they were having in Mid-South, 
which we'll have to watch as well, given that that's what that'll be another one to, we'll have to pick for a match of the week in the yeah. near future. That was like his like he was basically saying until this match that was the best version of these matches. But I think that one probably did take place in a ring and everything. Back in those days, you weren't really doing any falls count anywhere stuff or anything yeah. like that. But yeah, this match, what I do like is that it felt like a fight. It felt like it was they were using everything that was available to them. It was nasty. It was consistent. And it followed a, a, a fairly good line. And it never felt like it lost its focus necessarily, even though there were almost always two different fights going on at the same time. The only thing that bothered me occasionally was that maybe one team member will be winning against the other team member and the other one wouldn't necessarily get involved even though you know what i mean like like yeah. ortiz is beating up taylor trent's beating up santana or something like that you know i would rather it was like a more th- clear sense of, a, of backwards and forwards between the two teams because it does start with the best friends starting hot and heavy and getting some really good moves in and some really nasty like early on it's nasty like they they put ortiz in uh, on top of the hood of a car and they start slamming the hood door onto it to me it looked like it caught him right where his ankle was yeah i don't know but it was like it looked in that moment it looked like it could have crack crushed his ankle you know yeah yeah and um the sent on onto it as well because you don't really know when he's coming either if you're underneath uh so bracing yourself is a bit of bit of a nightmare situation in, in relation to your point about the two-on-ones, I guess you could sort of counteract it by saying, like, the fight got so chaotic, yeah. you know, you just got tunnel vision, which would fit in storyline-wise. So there are some really great, like, near-misses and, like, scary moments in that. Mm. From my personal perspective, and it's great visual, it's the sledgehammer throw, which, again, yes. is quite early, as you say. It's like... as. Pra- um, Santana and Ortiz rally back into the match. Just launches it. <laughs> yeah, some of them. I mean, it's, it is scary. Some of the bumps they're taking in this match, and, and Meltzer was critical of that, whilst also saying you, you considered it a five star. The catapult slingshot that uh, Santana does to Trent onto like the lower, the underside of the front bumper, the underside of the bumper. Yeah. That was nasty as fuck in, as far as the sound it was making. Mm. What I did feel... I always say, like, what I love about these sort of matches, uh, my favourite type of story within this genre is someone being taken out of their comfort zone to to meet the other opponent where it's sort of their wheelhouse, you know? Yeah. The Triple H versus Cactus Jack Street fights in 97 and 2000. Well, a lot of these are ones with Mick Foley. Mick Foley against Randy Orton, Mick Foley against Edge, Mick Foley against uh, Cactus Jack against Sting, Colk Banner against Homicide in Ring of Honor. Mm. And I felt they could have played that up more. I was almost surprised that they had the best friends be so dominant at the start. But then gradually it seemed like it was more they were in a hostile environment that they're not used to the... The more and, and JR says it in commentary. Although at that same moment, I think he's thinking, "Are people going to call me racist for this?" <laughs> but mm, well, they, they they project themselves, Santana and Ortiz, with that like we're rough. We grew up on the streets yeah. image, and and Trenton and Chuck Taylor are driven in by their soccer mom in a in a people carrier. You know that is clearly the dynamic. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one because they challenged. Santana and Ortiz to this fight. So obviously we're going to like meet you on your field. Like, you know, we're we're just going to like hit you hard in something that you may well be prepped in. A little bit I like is aside from the wood, which is very obvious on the flatbed truck, 
all of the hidden weapons that are bought out yes. are yeah. bought out by Santana and Ortiz. So it's clearly they've got the street smarts to have prepped the battlefield a lot more. I'm just going to like pick on your film knowledge here. The face paint. I know that it is an homage to Dead Presidents. That was the sort of white face with the black around the eyes and the mouth. <clears> I know that that is a reference to the film Black uh, Dead Presidents. But uh, much like Tony Schiavone, I'm sure I have limited knowledge of that. <laughs> enough to try and pass it off. I just don't think necessarily that that's Tony Schiavone's. That's like a regular DVD yeah. uh, rewatch for him. But I know it's a film that has a big following and I've always meant to watch it. Quick aside um, on that face paint. It makes Santana's hard way look a lot. The visual yeah. of the yeah. red and the white mixing is... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the hard way was deliberate. Or, or it was something they hoped could happen, you know? Yeah, I mean, they knew there were going to be blood. Like the, well, obviously, if you ta- even if you take blading out. And I didn't notice this the first time I watched this. Because the, fir- uh, the first time I watched it, I was watching it as part of the episode of Dynamite. But I'd heard all the hype. Mm. Um, in fact, actually, I had news of Dave giving it five stars the day before I watched this for the first time, which was a little annoying on my part Yeah, as an AEW fan, because, you know, it's it's hype to the moon. But the first time I went along with it, and it was like, great. On the second viewing, I, no- I have noticed what people were talking about, how Trent did intentionally blade his arm when he did oh, the spear okay. yeah. through the door, because it just makes it look like a... You catch it very slightly. Yeah, that makes sense more anyway, really. That why is everyone suspiciously cut just above their hairline yeah. in a manner that will allow it to scar over without necessarily mutilating your face too badly? A bit convenient, that, isn't it? But it is... Um, it's and bleeding from the arm made sense there. You know, yeah. you would. You're probably going to have a wood splinter in you somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I still would rather he didn't cut himself. For my entertainment. <sighs> yeah, but look, look, the way I think it is with blading and blood with wrestlers is, do you know how, like, they took, there's this old adage of how every actor wants to die on screen or in the play. They want to act a death. I think blading is very much the wrestling equivalent of that. I don't think that applies to every wrestler. I remember hearing stories back in the day that the Motor City machine guns initially refused to blade for an angle. Mm. Saying that they never wanted to do that. I think there will be a reluctance on some. But I also would hope, therefore, if any of them were reluctant to have done it, AEW management would have said, okay, yeah, fine, you don't have to. Although AEW listening to talent's got them into hot water recently, so... Well, yeah. I mean, also you would you would hope that all the necessary hygienic testing and everything is done. I'm surprised that it's come back with a vengeance. I genuinely thought in a mainstream promotion we'd seen the last of it. I will be curious to see if WWE starts to allow it themselves if they like, we're not going to let them get one up on us. Especially since WWE television's no longer a PG. So that they have a bit more leeway to go there if they wanted to. I, I think only one man will decide that. Well, obviously. And it'll be on a whim. And yeah. it's Vince, obviously. It won't be like a grand plan of going, well, if they're doing it and they've tested it, it'll be like one day. It's like, ah, let's do it. Get what testing kit? Oh God! <laughs> so yeah, I, I, but I just wanted to go back to my point, like the the people being brought out of their elements. I thought they did it well, but I thought they could have done it better. Okay. Uh, because the brutality never really escalates. They they're going at it from the start. They're trying to you know they're throwing sledgehammers within a few. Just so straight into fifth, and then stays there. Sort uh, of. Yeah, but that, and that's fine. So as long as it stays there, it doesn't go into a lull or anything like that. But it also means that the big 
blow-off to it is another comedy character emerging from the boot of a car. Well, is he? This is the thing with Orange Cassidy. His feud with Jericho, even though it ended with a Mimosa Mayhem match and uh, Jericho taking the fall into the Mimosa, and that's like a very comedic image. The Jericho feud is sort of like a chrysalis moment for Cassidy, as in he's mm. he is still the humorous guy, but he's not just that anymore. He's got depth. Well, he's also got legitimacy. Yeah. You know that he can, when he hits Santana or Ortiz, I can't remember which one, with the Superman punch. It's Santana and it's the orange punch. With his fist wrapped in the chain, which they did a very good job of saying, oh, he caught him really well, but I think his fist has something and then he shows off the chain, so in case anyone missed it. What I wish they'd done was, I feel like the shot that they should have had when when it happens should have been a front-on shot of Chuck Taylor because you can see that he's pressing his car keys. I feel like we should have had a shot of Chuck Taylor sat there on the ground and he presses it and then the boot go opens and the camera pans <sighs> up to reveal Orange Cassidy. That's how I would have framed it. That's how I would have shot it. But it did also, to be fair, it didn't feel like... This wasn't cinematic wrestling, even though it was being filmed somewhere else. Or... Another picture could have is just the, the close-up shot on Santana's face as his like expression changes as the, as the boot opens. He's I like, think you can do a good reaction shot after Cassidy emerges. Kind of like the best, probably the most famous best reaction shot in wrestling history is Mankind taking off his mask and shirt to reveal that it's Cactus Jack. And the first time you saw Triple H's face, it's kind of smug. And then when that reveals, it's his jaws dropped and fear is in his eyes. <laughs> Also, did you notice as well that uh, Santana says in that moment, this was the biggest mistake you've ever made in your fucking life? They caught that a lot better than all the shits they failed to censor out from uh, the FTR Omega page angle. They said it was only one of the few edits they had to do, apparently, but then again... Well, that's... Because that's the question, isn't it? Because Meltzer generally doesn't like to rate these sort of... Ma- I mean, he refused to rate a lot of the WrestleMania matches, didn't he? Because he said it was done from multiple takes... It wasn't really anything. So we can only go off the word of them. So, yeah, I mean, let's get to it. Meltzer gave it five stars. It's obviously been a point of controversy, but I think every five star he gives from now on is going to... Someone's going to be pissed off by it. Look, he's broke the scale, and he knows it. knows it. Well, would you maximise your personal scale by giving this five stars? Pausing for dramatic effect. It's it's less dramatic when you say it, though. Yeah. I would... I would give this five stars. I think, let me qualify this. Five star, the problem with five star ratings, and I think why Meltzer gets a lot of grief, and I saw a tweet about this, I cannot remember who said it, so sorry if I'm like stealing someone's credit, but this isn't my original thought, but I agree with it, where five star wrestling, one man's five star is another man's one star, and there's more than one type... That was Alan Cheapshot. Yeah, yeah. That was Alan Cheapshot. Thank you, yes, Alan Cheapshot. And there's more than one type of wrestling. And for this match, I've, I loved it. I loved all of it. It gave best friends more depth. It, Santana and Ortiz didn't look weak by losing. It was just fun chaos. And it may be something I have to revisit in six to 12 months time. Because there are a couple of caveats with this. I do accept that, let's face it, a lot of wrestling without fans was weird as hell. And I know they're not proper fans. They were like the side people they have round the arena. But it just had like a fun, nice reaction to it. And maybe I'm gagged of it. And I 
I am someone who wants AEW to do well. I am someone who watches AEW on the reg. So I have, I've had followed all the story through as much as I can. And I'm not coming in cold like I have with some of us. I've treated a bit disparagingly in comparison. But I can only go with my gut. And I, I just thought it was really good fun. And I loved it. I thought it was really good fun. But I don't think really good fun is enough to qualify it for five stars. So I wouldn't go there myself. I thought it was a lot of fun. It reminded me of some of the great times of the past of wrestling and was as good, if not maybe a bit better, than a lot of those, like I said, those hardcore matches with Road Dog. But I wouldn't say they were a million miles better than those matches. What made it fun was the storyline angles to it, so this felt like it had a bigger prestige maybe than those which were just sort of throwaway TV matches. But just because something's a lot of fun doesn't mean it has to be given a perfect rating above all. No. And even if it's perfect, even if it's as good as it ever needed to be, doesn't mean that within those parameters... So that's the thing. I think what Meltzer is trying to say is that it's relative and within what everything that this was trying to achieve, it achieved it. And I agree with that. But just because you do everything that you wanted to do perfectly doesn't make this a perfect match. Mm. And that's what makes it something five stars. And to me, that's not a perfect great match. It's uh, perfectly executed what they intended to do. But, but to me, that's not five stars, personally. And it's always personal. I'm surprised Meltzer gave it five stars. But obviously, that's his, that's his, uh, that's his prerogative. If he gets more people to watch the AEW product, I'm more than happy for that to ha- happen. I'm glad with where AEW's going. It has its ups and it has its downs. But it's also having consistent ups. Like, that whole episode was a, was a very interesting episode. I also watched most of the Ivelisse Thunder Rosa match. And whilst I can see where people are coming from, I think kind of weirdly them falling out made it feel like more of a struggle. Made it feel like a fight because they basically almost were. Except for that one bit that went a bit viral of her not reacting to a snap mare. I was enjoying what I saw of that. Mm. And I enjoyed all of what I saw with this. It was a lot of fun. Everyone should watch it. And it was, it was, that was the thing. It was fun. I think a lot of people that maybe remembers the old Attitude Era days and hasn't really watched a lot of wrestling since, they probably react very positively to that and the whole feud. It is weird that it's a blow off to what is essentially a comedy angle. It'd be like the Edge Booker T shampoo fight getting a five star rating. It's more. I think it's more than a comedy angle. Well, the the joke is that it escalates from. Okay, maybe a better example would be the Chris Jericho Kane feud that started from Chris Jericho accidentally spilling some coffee on Kane. Like an innocuous starting point brings it to a a, a really high blow off, which was again the the, the basis of the homicide cult commander uh, series mm. few, which was just him making a couple of light-hearted jokes in a backstage segment, homicide taking it the wrong way and cult cabana suddenly finding himself in a world that he's not equipped for yeah and, and escaping it maybe they could have made this story drag on a bit go on a bit longer what were there maybe i think the storyline only went on for about five or six weeks really yeah but it, do you know what it was a little bit of a bolt on one though wasn't it compared Oh, it was a bolt-on of the Jericho-Cassidy feud. It would maybe would have been a bit of fun if, if maybe Chris Jericho had appeared at one point and put the baton in the wheel that then Santana pulls it from or mm. something like that. I always like that, actually, when like the leader of a faction actually helps out with... Other people's matches. ...involving someone in the lower part of it. Like One of the examples I'll always give of that was Triple H helping X-Pac in the big angle with Kane, where it was revealed that Tori had joined DX. I like that, because you very rarely saw Ric Flair helping out Arn and Tully, you know? Which is obviously kind of because they're meant to be an egomaniac that are using their Friends. gang, their group members. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that we now, that the next feud for Santana Ortiz could very well be them feuding with Jericho and Hager. Because they've got into the tag division. There are a few schools of thought that that's where it could go. I like Santana a lot. Ortiz, I... um. 
I like, but I, I like Santana more. Yeah, I can definitely see Santana maybe going into... Uh, maybe that's just because he's taller. What did it for me, what caught my attention with Santana was the eye for an eye angle stroke match he had with um, Moxley after like Moxley had like yeah. blinded him and then Jericho being the grand hypocrite that he is going that's disgusting you shouldn't do that and he talked about his dad being blind and you know stuff like that and how like this meant to in that sit down interview and AEW's got two of the best sit down interviewers I think you could have right now so go to that well I wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't the last match at least for Santana and Ortiz, that got a five-star rating. I think it might be a bit harder for Chuck and Trent. Maybe because they're such a usually a comedy act, they'd need more of these sort of bells mm. and whistles and everything. But, you know, for a match with bells and whistles, they were very well blown and very well run. Wrong. And we will ring in the end of this episode. As of time of recording, we don't yet have confirmation as to whether Dave Meltzer has rated any more matches five-stars. So if everything goes according to plan, then next week you'll get what was promised this week, which is the Big Show Floyd Mayweather episode. If not, that will continue to be held off because we are now into G1 Climax time. And like I said, at the time of recording, there are at least two matches that I suspect Meltzer might give five stars to. So it could be that we've now got maybe six, seven, eight weeks of five-star match episodes. Because even if he gives two matches in one week five stars, we're going to continue with the weekly schedule. So we might not get the G1 Climax finished for us until like November, December time, possibly. Depending on depending on how good they are and, and how the increasing number of audience members, but still not enough to create much of an atmosphere, will affect Dave's rating. Oh, it's such a weird time. But anyway, whatever you hear from us next week, whether it's another G1 match with a five-star rating or it's Floyd Mayweather versus The Big Show... Or who knows? Maybe maybe someone on Raw like knocked it out of the park this week. Yeah, who knows? Maybe that hurt business retribution. Oh, don't like, start me on that. Was, uh, was all the starts and But if you want to get in touch with us, then my name is Lord Kamala. That's L O R C A N M U W L A for all aboard the Mama Sue train, and N for the N at the end of Mama Sue train. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you're putting at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show, lmtyspod at gmail.com. lmtyspod is also our Twitter handle and find us on Facebook. Contribute to our Patreon, patreon.com slash lmtyspod. Simon, how can people get in touch with you? People can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm sending a Simon Cross free, free for the three separate memory sticks full of pictures that Tony Khan will have to send off to his auto insurer. Because there's nothing to say at this point other than my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star bumper good time. Until the next time. In a cold summer night We start a fight To keep our souls and hearts alive We watch the stars In those cold, cold summer nights The sky is clear So we forget all of our fears We feel free and unafraid Flames inside our eyes Yeah, we feel free
with all our friends and the stars. <laughs>